0: The Football Show. On Off the Ball. Brought to you by the Boyle Sports app. Cash out and in play betting available in the App Store and Google Play Store. I'm prepared to do anything I can well, to play, play country again.
1: Do it then. What about your start to the game? Oh, it wasn't bad, was it? Why should it an honest answer be a mistake?
2: How can a modern
3: day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Oh.
2: All right, you're welcome along to Thursday's football show. Nathan and Kev with you this evening. We are going to be talking Spanish football with Phil Kutramelidis. Hopefully I'm getting the pronunciation correct. Kutramelidis. Yeah. uh, Of the Spanish football podcast. He is a La Liga commentator as well. So we'll be chatting to him about last night's Clásico in the Copa del Rey. About a pretty exciting Spanish title race. Uh, with Barca, Real, and once again, Atletico in the mix for that. And about Real Betis' season as well. They're up to sixth in the La Liga table, so that's coming away very shortly. Anything particularly you want to touch on before we get to your PFA team of the year? Anything stand out from West Brom, Brighton last <laughs> night? <laughs> um,
1: good, right. to see, good to see Brighton get to a cup final. Yeah, it would be. They've got Derby next round. Oof. Derby, then they've got a chance for quarterfinals. You're one game away from Wembley to the semis.
2: There's only, what, seven Premier League teams left?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And Chelsea, Man United, obviously in the next round mm-hmm. as well. So that's going to free up one of the, one of the lesser Premier League sides as well, or just going to give you a chance, I suppose. Sorry, with one of the better Premier League sides going out. So yeah, it's a good chance, isn't it? I mean, you you, you didn't watch the game. You said you didn't watch the game, but West Brom actually played well, good football. And then Jared J- Rodriguez comes off at half halftime. And you were
2: saying that this was a pre-arranged move. Apparently, yeah.
1: Did only Wait. go play forty-five. Craig Dawson came on and played forty-five minutes. He he, he came on and then went Craig off Dawson at full time. So he came on at half time, went off at full time, <laughs> and then in extra time they would made all the subs. They made an extra sub at the start of half time because, of course, you commit the fourth sub in extra time. Now. Right. And two minutes later, Robson Cano gets injured, so they play extra time with ten men. Sounds like a bit of a Mickey Mouse cup. <laughs> Did <laughs> you, you call him Alan you... Robson Cano? <laughs> every time, every time I said the name, I just think of Hal Hal Robson-Carter. it like has Rob <laughs> gone off, but I'm going to mention him anyways. Yeah, yeah, He's not a bad player though. He's not a bad player. Here. And where was Wes playing? Just number ten role? Wes was playing as a false nine to start with. Oof. So what? What Rodriguez did? Rodriguez and Carneu split really wide. They, were, they, they looked like wide men, but they weren't. They were trying to come in off the side. And, and what Wes was doing was starting up, playing up between the two centre halves. In a sort of Jesse Lingard. Position. Yeah, a little bit like that. A little bit probably if you can picture how Man United played against Spurs mm. when the two centre forwards split and Ling got, it was a bit like that. But what Wes kept doing is you know, kept on coming, having real influence on the game, coming a bit deeper. Brighton were a massive threat from set pieces, really strong. They look they look a stronger team, but West Brom played really nice football. Alright. Good. Uh Manchester City, what did you see last night? I only saw the goals. I saw the goals and the highlights from it, yeah. Again, Everton conceding just a crap goal from, from another set piece and far too easy for them. I, I don't know if you saw it, if you saw the goal, the way it's Zuma's. And it's still this one where, yeah, the, the marking's only from, from a wide free kick, but Zuma in marking's only, all he did, he's dropped. He, he dropped and made no challenge to Laporte at all. All he needs to do is go and jump into him. But nothing. what Laporte
2: did, so Laporte started beside Zuma yeah. and then spun back. Yeah. Very simple manoeuvre from Laporte. Yeah. Is that something that clearly Manchester City have probably taken 10 minutes to work on on the training ground? Watched Everton defending set pieces and said, they're not going to move no matter what. They play this zonal system where nobody has to take any
1: responsibility. So if you just spin off the back, he's not going to track you. And there's a good chance you're going to get in front of the guy standing behind. Yeah, Everton looks so disorganised doing the zonal marking, whether that's from corners or wide free kicks. Marco Silva touched on last weekend that it's not necessarily corners, it's the wide free kicks that's causing them problems. But... If you, if you saw any of the goals from Millwall, did you see the Millwall goals from the week? Every ball mm. that Millwall put in, physically, they looked too strong. They were prepared to go and attack it. And Everton were just all over the place. Even to the second ball, once the first one went in, even if Everton cleared it, once it was like bouncing around the penalty area, they, they just were all over the place. No one took responsibility to go up against someone. And do Martin. you put
2: that solely down to organisation? Yeah. Or is there not
1: some sort of personal responsibility on the players? I agree with what you're saying there. To, to, for the second part was, yes, there has to be responsibility on that pitch to, to do your job essentially and see the ball through. See, I but, just don't understand. But if, if you if you're getting that in your head though, Nath, beforehand. I'll just, sorry, I'll just before you make your point there. If you're if you're getting that in your head and you're working on that on the training ground, the manager's quite happy for you to do that because it seems to me quite easy that you show the the goals that Everton are conceding from set pieces. Show it to the team mm. what's gone wrong there. The players can work that out in no time at all. What's gone wrong? They'll give you the answers for for what uh, the answers to what you're looking for. So. But that's what I don't
2: understand, that we're talking about elite level footballers, full of internationals, quite an experienced squad in there. You look at that defence, Seamus Coleman, Michael Keane's played for England, you've yeah. Leighton Bain's still around the place. Yeah. Kurt Zouma's had a decent career, he's still quite look, young. Dean but Barcelona. Been, yeah, they've, been, they've all played at good levels. That when you're conceding that many goals from a similar situation, that when you go in on a Monday and it's happened like in the game against Millwall, that... There isn't a conversation taking place amongst everybody going,
1: well, how do we fix this? Yeah. Whereas it doesn't look like that conversation's... No, it seems to me. But again, you can go back across the course of the season. That conversation probably should have been had after the first goal they conceded from set-piece. And then it just has a knock-on effect. But in answer to what you're saying there is, it, it, it seems to me, watching them, I've seen an awful lot of Everton this season, it seems to me that they're not having those conversations. The manager's clearly not telling them why they're making the mistakes and, and wanting answers from the team and the team are getting away with it that's the way that it is it's, it's lazy defending and it's it's laziness all around as far as i'm concerned and
2: interesting when you talk to seamus coleman uh, around managers i remember talking to him around martin o'neill and he's constantly making the point same as when sam allardyce was being asked questions of him last year players need to take responsibility in this mm. dressing room i'm constantly saying it we, everything goes on the manager, everything goes on the manager, we need to take more responsibility. I do wonder if something's set in at Everton whereby they've changed manager on such a regular basis that they don't need to take that responsibility because they know Marco Silva's more than likely gonna
1: go at the end of the season yeah. and they're gonna stay under their big contracts. I understand your point, I don't necessarily see that because I think there's the, pers- the personnel changes at Everton over the last two or three years, is been, it's, it's been huge. Uh, I think there is still that core, the lads that you mentioned there, Phil, Jagielka still around the place, Leighton Bain, Seamus Coleman, they've been around that club for a long time, they know what it takes to play for a side like David Moyes who was so meticulous on set pieces, they know what it takes so I doubt that has been been creeping in that actually, it's actually in the in the player's head, the manager's going to be gone in two mm. weeks or two months or whatever it's going to be, I doubt that's creeping into the mindset.
2: I know you don't like to condemn managers but he's going to be gone because Everton have a huge issue now, yeah. we covered them a lot around November, December, and they had a funny fixture list whereby they played all the top teams away from home, basically back-to-back, the top six teams, and they had a really good run of home fixtures. And they put in a couple of credible enough performances away from home, but never kicked on at home. Now it's in reverse. They have got at home between now and the end of the season and over the next basically six, seven weeks, Liverpool in the derby, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United before they finish up at Spurs. Yeah. If they're not getting results at home at Goodison Park, the atmosphere is already pretty toxic. Yeah, it is. It's hard to
1: see how Silva can come back from that. It's pretty poor. And you and I, when over the last four or five years, when we've been doing commentary at Goodison, we, we we spoke and glowingly about the atmosphere at Goodison. It hasn't been there this season. It hasn't been there, probably for large parts over the last couple of seasons as well. So, as much as as much as you. you you're, you're reluctant to say, look, Marco Silva will be going. It, it, it seems like the writing's on the wall already. It does with how they're going about things, how they're going about it. Marco Silva seems quite distant as well. That's the way that I see it, the way I view it. Again, what do you mean uh, by distant? Outside, with his press conferences, how he is with the team when he's when, when he's on the touchline. I, again, I, again, it's it's an observation. It may not be it may not be a fact, but outside when you as an outsider looking in, when you go into games. There just seems a little bit of disconnection there. I don't know why. I don't know why I feel that. But that, that's the way it seems to me when I'm at the matches. It does. And so there's almost a game going on, as happens
2: at every club at times, where we had the issue where the owner, about a month ago, didn't give him his full backing, yeah. sort of lumped a bit of pressure on him. Not, the happy, players, not happy. The, with the, in the, the players don't seem to be particularly playing for him. That as a manager, you go into self-preservation mode. That, that he's protecting himself now. That's saying, listen... The players aren't following my instructions, the people above
1: me don't yeah. believe in me. What else can you expect me to yeah. do? But that 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 is, I think, a reflection of the manager with the way that they're defending. I think I I personally think it's it's something that's quite easy to address and 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 sort out. I do think that. I think they're the issues that you can sort out on the training ground. The the technical issues around set pieces, mm. you try and line up, you do you try little just try something different, basically, within it. Not necessarily dramatically changing things. He's quite happy. He wants to go zonal. His side are struggling in the marking that way. So you can, you can actually tinker it a little bit and go semi-zonal, where you can have four players zone, zonally instead of seven, or whatever it is, that the number that you'd be using. So, what sides defend well zonally? The best one, when I, I think I've said it to before, it would have always been, immediately, if you think of zonal marking, in my head, Liverpool under Gerard Julio. Uh, sorry, under Rafa Benitez. But they had real characters in there. They did have Hippie, they did have uh, Carragher, they did have people, even Finnan would have probably been playing in that side as well. People who were very good at taking responsibility, were very good at it. And they also had players that were willing to, to go and head the bloody ball. Go and head it, go and put you, yourself on the line. I don't necessarily see that from Everton. I think I see the way that everton are, d- are lining up and doing it or and, and defending it's almost as if it's a lack of responsibility within there and it's it's quite funny saying we're talking about everton now we spoke about we spoke about this I spoke about this with Joe on monday the reason we're talking about everton is it's still a negative side we should be talking about everton now with the money that's been spent in a in a good way that they're actually challenging but they're as far off now as they have been in in many many years well funny
2: enough the their issues at the back are overshadowing Big problems at the other end of the pitch, yeah, yeah. where they have spent an enormous amount of money, and Richarlison has been a success story. Sigerson's had a good season, yeah. but Walcott and Bernard have have rarely delivered. And you're looking again at midfield. Andre Gomez is he going to stay next season? Of another 150 million, probably needed to be spent. Oh, Richarlison
1: was dropped, wasn't he last night? He dropped. Was he sh- dropped? or Was he rested? Rested? Otherwise, he's hardly rested. Him at this stage of the season, he, need, he needs points, don't yeah. they? They need results. So Richarlison resting, he's playing. Dominic Calvert-Lewin up front, who I think has something. I don't necessarily say he's going to go on and score 25 goals. I think he's, he's certainly the player that you could use as an impact sub at times. It clearly hasn't worked with a number of those signings, even they say with the goals that he scored. I, I don't necessarily see Richarlison, even though he's in double figures this season, I don't necessarily see him as being a real success. As, bad as, as, as crazy as that sounds, but when he's playing up front as a number nine, he's, he's been scoring goals. But over the, over the course of the game, I don't feel as though he's always having major impact on a match. So you're scoring goals and it overshadows that, and sometimes it can actually take away from what you're actually doing on the pitch by scoring goals. I think you can get more out of Charleston by playing him in his position, a bit more, a bit deeper, playing him as a 10 or playing him in a wide position. I think that's where you're going to get the best out of him. Uh, I always like
2: a text that starts with, This may be true. Only two teams in Premier League history have had a worse record conceding from set pieces at this stage of the season. Hull and Watford, both managed by Marco Silva. That's from Jason and Galway. That stat, JP says, is mostly correct, but suffice to say, his record has been poor.
1: Well, it couldn't have been under hold because he didn't take over till the second
2: half of the season, did he? These are the basics. These are yeah. the basics, like. <laughs> Sending this through. I've waited all night to see what happens with Kevin. This campaign to text Mick. He really has to do it at this stage. I mean, just imagine Mick finds out about this refusal. Kev. could affect your relationship with him forever. Or worse still, could upset him so much that it affects his ability to manage Ireland properly. The nation's hopes of qualifying rest in your hands, Kilbane. Uh, that, that that sounds like a JP text. That to me, actually. Just saying. I'm just saying. Let's get on to the uh, main talking point then. Kevin Kilbane's team of the year in February. Yeah. So Kenny Cunningham was in last night. Will I I read you the uh, Kenny
1: Cunningham team? Yeah, I want to hear it again if possible. I listened to it today, but I'd like to, yeah. Football
2: man. There he is. Full managerial mode. He has the uh, arms crossed. So in goal, David De Gea of Manchester United. Right back, Dublin's Matt Doherty. Doherty, yeah. Doherty. 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 Uh, Or Doherty. Doherty. Either one is fine. Yeah. Uh, Centre-back pairing of big Virgil van Dijk and Emmerich Laporte. Yeah. Andy Robertson at left-back. Midfield, Ireland's Declan Rice. Yeah. And Fernandinho. Yeah. Eden Hazard and Raheem Sterling providing a bit of width. And then up front, no Mo Salah, no Harry Kane, no Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Sergio Aguero and Marcus Rashford. Mm. Yeah,
1: I've got, I've got a problem with, with a few of those players. All right, so let's,
2: let's start at the beginning then. Who is your best goalkeeper of this season? Not who's the best goalkeeper in the Premier League. Yeah. This season, who's been the best well, goalkeeper? Well, the, the
1: goalkeeper I've picked, I don't think is the best goalkeeper in the division. That I'll, I'll say that at the start, but I think across the course of this season, Edison has been the most consistent. I'm going with Edison from Man City. I think he's been consistent with his shot stopping. I think he's such a crucial player for how, how Man City play. Edison, I think, has is, is been the most consistent goalkeeper across the course of this season. Edison has sort of changed the way you look at goalkeepers, I guess. Like yeah. David De Gea,
2: I'm assuming, is who you think is the best goalkeeper. I think goalkeeper. David De Gea is the
1: best goalkeeper in the league, yeah, I do.
2: Would David De Gea... Would
1: Manchester City swap Edison for David de Gea? No, no. He simply he's, with the style of, of play that City have, David de Gea is not that type of goalkeeper. That not that type of footballer. Essentially, he's not as good a footballer. So no, it, you know, they wouldn't swap him. Was, Much was, the same is I think vice versa. I don't think Man United would swap David de Gea for Edison. And I think if Edison would have faced a lot of the shots that de Gea would have saved, uh, would have uh, faced this season, I think he would have looked. Because I think, I think De Gea made a few mistakes at the start of the season, mm. um, and that was off the back of a, of a poor World Cup by his own standards. I think Edison would look very poor, or, 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 or a poorer goalkeeper, playing in Man United's side. I think he certainly carries Man United, De Gea, how he, how he goes about things, yeah.
2: All right, so one change from Kenny Cunningham's team. Right back. Uh, Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty,
1: yeah. Oh, Mac Doherty is having a good week of it. Well, I, I looked, I looked around, and I looked at all the. And you, you immediately go for top six, don't you? Looking at the top six sides, so I, the other contenders will be Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kyle in, Walker, says Aspeli Says yeah, Aspeli probably the one that would run in the closest. I would think all was solid. Yeah, just to, yeah, exactly seven out of ten. Perfect, perfect description that Nathan. But I think uh, I, no, I think uh, I think Doherty's is the one, definitely. I think he's. He's I've got six goals this season, five assists. He plays in a really good open and attractive Wolves side. Defensively, I think he's improving as well. So, yeah, I'm going to go with him. So, uh, Matt Doherty. Again. Seventh in the league as well, Wolves. So, I think that's good.
2: We have a very good record of getting full backs onto the PFA Team of the Year. Ten mm. Irish players have made the PFA Team of the Year. Yeah. Six of them have been full backs. Is that right? Is that right? That is right. Dennis Irwin, probably one of them, would it? Dennis Irwin, correct. Yeah, Harty. Ian Hart, correct. Gary Kelly. Gary Kelly, yes, you're on a roll. Stephen Finnan. Steve Finn and Stephen Carr.
1: Stephen Carr, yes. Yeah. Uh, no more left backs, is there, I don't think. Steve Staunton? No, no. Steve
2: Staunton, no. A more recent one. Oh, Seamus Coleman. Seamus yeah, Coleman. Seamus
1: Coleman, of course, yeah.
2: yeah. Nailed it.
1: Yeah, good. We've
2: got. Nailed it. So Matt Doherty has a chance on that. So uh, we need to start the campaign to get Matt Doherty in this team because this is how it works. Footballers
1: are lazy. They're going to do as. Yeah. Who, who, who plays well, I, I think whoever's, whoever's on our social media tonight, it's got to be to go starting with the headline. Matt Doherty's in the team of the year. Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty. Doherty, a spe- clear yeah. favourite. Doherty deserves your vote. Yeah. Could we... And then we'll... Because we'll, get that, we'll, get, we'll send that over to, to Should the Should we UK. do a little so highlights video? It will be Doherty there as well, yeah. As because. Kenny was saying last night, Doherty. That's outrageous. It was terrible. Uh, and, s- and to be
2: fair, Joel did pull him up on it as well. Oh, well, listen.
1: Yeah. He doesn't let Anne by. No.
2: Centre-back pairing. He went for Van Dijk and Laporte. I've gone for the same. I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with that. Is there anyone... Any other
1: contenders? Um... Hard to think of too many. Yeah, that's been a really, that's been really... Stones? Okay, I think he's having one of his better seasons at City, yeah. You couldn't really disagree with that. None of the Arsenal back four. I think Aldo is looking more solid again. There's something about Sanchez I don't like at Tottenham. I think he makes too many mistakes. Um, Vertonghen's having a decent enough time as well. I think they're right up there, aren't they? But, I mean, if you're looking at individuals in their position, the best player across the course of this season, in my opinion, is a centre half, and I think it's Van Dyke. So um Van Dyke and Laporte are my centre half pairings, yeah. All right. Left back. And again I've gone with Kenny. Andy Ailed Robertson. On. Andy Robertson, definitely. No other contenders? No, no one else. Um he's I mean, I I'm just say with Van Dyke as well. Chris Sutton described him last week. Did you see that? Where he described him as the best Dutch player ever mm, to play in the ahead league. of Dennis Bergkamp. Yeah. Well, Ashley Cole picked his
2: Team on Sky on Monday night of the best players he ever played with. Yeah, and he didn't include Dennis Bergkamp. He Onre yeah. and Drogba, didn't he? Yeah. he had Drogba ahead of him. Yeah. Some people, this is a conversation for another night, would uh, argue that Drogba was vastly overrated. That he was a he was a big game player, but consistently. Drogba.
1: Yes. I played against Drogba, so the te- the teams that I would have been playing for, he wouldn't necessarily consider it a, a a big game. Animal. Brilliant. On it. Brilliant player. On it. Brilliant player. Uh, Andy Robertson is nailed on for that. That's it. There's nobody else. There is simply nobody else. All right. Centre
2: midfield. Our boy. Yeah. Our boy, Declan Rice. But, like, what an honour it'll be to have two Irish players. On the team of the year
1: No Declan Another standout performance No, Declan Rice is not on my team of the year no, Simply no chance No chance, no
2: There's What is this personal vendetta you're <laughs> Well, exactly I knew you'd say
1: that straight away But no If, if I look at the players that's playing in, in Don't this, put this on social media If I look at the players That's playing in the central midfield positions This season I think there are several ahead of him I'll tell you me two that I've gone for. I've gone for two holders and they played the easy. I've followed Kenny on one of them, which is Fernandinho. I think he's had a superb season. One of the key players in Man City's side. The other one who's played a majority's time there this season as a a, a two in in the the holding midfield is Christian Eriksen. Six goals, ten assists. I think he's. Contrib- Not a holding midfielder, is he? He's played as a holding midfielder. Yeah, he's, he's he's got in advanced positions, but he's started from that position and he started to dictate, play more from a deep line midfield as well. a midfielder as well. Just a midfielder, John Giles might say. No, no, he, and he's, he scored goals. As John Giles would say, he started moves and he's finished moves. Proper midfielder. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't look beyond. I couldn't. I, I cannot have Christian Eriksen in the side, and and think I'm going to play Declan Rice ahead of him. No chance. No no way. Absolutely no way. I'm sorry, but he's, he's, again, I've seen him play quite. a Well, it must be four or five times in the last six, eight weeks. Brilliant. How many times have I been on with you? Excellent, excellent footballer. But no, not not having an impact of, on that scale, though. No.
2: No other contenders in there for the middle of midfield. Paul Pogba, Bernardo Silva.
1: Bernardo Silva would be certainly one. Genie po- Vanjaaldum. G- yes, another one. Again, Ruben Neves. Yeah, creating goal, scoring goals. Again, Neves is another one. Bernardo Silva is the one who misses out on my team, who I would, he, he would be 12th man, very, very close to getting in the side. I think he's having a superb season, and Wijnaldum would be another, I think, to having a very good season. But I just look at those two and I just think that, yes, the, I, I can't put Wijnaldum ahead of Eriksson. The goals and the, and the assists, it, it doesn't stack up with Eriksson. So, no, I've got to go with Eriksson. And Kante not even considered this season? No, he's, he's created a few, scored a few himself. It was a great ball at the weekend, if you saw his ball for Higuain. It was a brilliant, brilliant pass from him, uh, but no. no, we'll, We won't try and uh, dissuade you. Christian no. Eriksen and Fernandinho
2: in the middle of midfield. Yeah.
1: I'll go with them more of a 4-4-2, four, 4-2-4, four, 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 okay. however you want to go about it. He you went for Raheem Sterling and Eden Hazard? Uh, Raheem Sterling, yes. I've gone with him on my right side as well. 12 goals, 12 assists this season. Um, I think he's taken his game to a new level, couldn't argue with that at all, um, everything about him. He's getting himself in goal-scoring positions right between the middle of the goals. He missed a couple of chances, don't get me wrong, but I think consistently across this season he's he's right up there with, with the very best attacking players, yeah. Definitely. Eden Hazard? No, I've gone for Son Heung-min.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think across this season, stats are very similar to to uh, Eden Hazard, he scored more goals, just less assists, so he's got 14 goals and 8 assists. It's quite a few games. But I look at him, that, right, okay. No, I'm saying that also he's played. Yeah, yeah. He missed the start of the season. Both off the back of a World Cup, mm. he goes to the Asian Games and he's played at the Asian Cup this season. Now to have that over your over your shoulders and come back and then start scoring a go- scoring, scoring goals straight away off the back of it. Am- amazing mental strength from Son, a key player for Spurs, uh, particularly now with Kane being out supposedly for the next few weeks, Dele Alli out, if Spurs are going to maintain the title channels, challenge, it's certainly got he, he'll be a key player Son. Is it simply that he's
2: overachieving, whereas Hazard, for as good as he is, it still seems to be somewhat underachieving? Yeah, well, a lack of first, I listened
1: to Kenny last night, and Kenny was talking about how Hazard can embarrass you. Personally, I think Hazard is the best in the league. I, I couldn't argue with, with, that, with that assessment. Um, I think he probably is, but consistently, over the last eight, ten weeks, I don't think he's been at the level that Eden Hazard should be at. So I'm looking at it across, across the course of the whole season and I think Son's having more of an impact on that. And I think his form has been reflective of, of Chelsea's of late as well. They've not, been getting, they've not been winning games and Hazard's form has dipped. He's played as a nine. I heard Kenny talking about it. I don't think it suited him. I think you want to see him as a ten or in a wider area to get to get the best out of him. Anyone else that was uh, shortlisted? Leroy Sané. Leroy Sané, another one that, that that could have been mentioned. I've i wrote down Hazard, twelve goals, ten assists. I said that they, 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 it's very similar sort of thing. I just I've just. What about me... Felipe Anderson? Fli- yes, another one. I've wrote him down. Eight goals, um, excellent season. He started off a little slow, but certainly through. December through the Christmas spell, he was having he was having a great time of it, and I, was, I saw him a few of the games as well. I saw him play; he was brilliant against Man United. He's brilliant against Arsenal. I saw recently. So yeah, I, 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 he's in he's in the he's in the 18. Okay, he's in the 18. Big
2: finish of the season could get there when we redo this again on a quiet night. When when, when actually the votes go <laughs> in it's taking place at the end of the season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, who are your two strikers then? I've this is one that could probably definitely change between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I I have. You went for Sergio Aguero
1: and Marcus Rashford. Yes, I can't. I, Yeah, Marcus Rashford, the form he's in, excellent. Probably the form striker in the Premier League. But again, across the course of the season, no. I think Harry Kane is ahead of him. As you mentioned before, Pierre-Emerick Barriang, both ahead of him. I'd I'd actually put them both ahead of him. And I've not even gone for those two in my side, so I'd put Marcus Rashford down in fifth or sixth place. Right, so who'd Uh, you go for? Sergio Aguero and Mo Salah up front. Salah again this season, Uh, 19 goals, 7 assists. He's having an impact on on games. And again, that was after a pretty slow start mm. to a season by his own standards. And I think he's, his level of performance has gradually in, increased. He's coming to the second half of the season when you're expecting to kick on. And I, I, you can't not have Mo Salah in there the way that he's playing, particularly across the course of the calendar year as well, the goals that he scored. So yeah, Mo Salah most definitely in there. And Sergio Aguero, 18 goals, six assists. He's just been, again, he's coming into form. Superb, brilliant, brilliant footballer. So. You could, I, I could take the case. Harry Kane's on 20 goals. I could take that. I, I, again, another one off the back of a World Cup. I think he was he was just lacking earlier on in the season. And it was a flip of the coin probably between Salah and Kane for who I was going to put in. Because I was always going to put Aguero in. Uh, so, yeah, and I've gone with Aguero. All right. There is Kevin Colban's team if you're watching on any of our social channels.
2: Ederson, Doherty, Van Dijk, Laporte, Robertson, Fernandinho, Ericsson, Sterling, Son, Aguero and Salah. Let us know what you think. Get the abuse in now. <laughs> but we're starting the campaign to get Matt Doherty Matt Doherty. On the team. team of the year. We yeah. get it out there.
1: Team of the year. Lads,
2: if you want to make it big on social media, you have to do your reverse team of the year. The 11 donkeys that have disgraced the Premier League this season from Chas. Ah, uh, no, I'm not doing that. No, no. I'm be nice. I'm not yeah. doing that. JP, JP. Stop. what are you trying to imply? No, we won't be doing that. No, we're not doing that,
1: <laughs> JP.
0: We're not doing that. I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll see. We'll get him on a good night. <laughs> we'll take a quick break. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mick McCarthy, and I'm second-generation Irish. I'm very proud of it. We're ready for a bit of verbal sparring, eh? What you got for me this morning? <laughs> what pile of <laughs> have you got for me this morning? <laughs> I, answer, I answer questions on anything: uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. And if I if I haven't if I haven't experienced them, I know somebody has. So, you know. <laughs> Some people, might I think that's two points dropped, <laughs> and I say some people can f*** off. Yeah, but I don't give up flying about and slaughtering me. I told you before, did not. It's like... If anybody's not happy, write to me at fettled.com. Have you come in the red suit and the white beard today? What? <laughs> Shall I come and sit on your lap and ask? Does your father know I'll bet Sorry, the keeper's a big tart doing that, because there's nothing wrong with it. I said, are hey, you the physio? He said, no, I'm the head of uh, medical medicine, techni- oh, and I said to him, how oh, wide well, oh, so you do? Can you just put physiotherapists on it like <laughs> everybody else used to? And like I say, if I've lost anything, any friends, then they're lost, believe me. I am pleased I'm that. And I'm pleased I came off tonight, and I'm pleased I was angry, and I'm pleased I shed a few tears, and I'm pleased I keep that coffee pot across the room. And I'm pleased I feel like I do now. So I know the old feeling's still there. And when that
2: goes, then if that feeling goes, I'll back it in. All right, it's been a little while since we've talked Spanish football on a Thursday night, but there was a classical last night. Barcelona and Real Madrid met in the Copa del Rey. They're going to meet in La Liga in a couple of weeks, and it's one of the more exciting La Liga seasons of recent times. It's very tight at the top. To talk about it, we're joined by Phil Kitromelidis, who is from the Spanish football podcast and a La Liga commentator. Evening, Phil. Good evening. Before we get into what's actually happening in La Liga and all the excitement around it this season, it feels like we're missing out because Mm. there was a Classico last night and I came into the office today, mentioned it to a couple of people, neither of whom had even heard it was on. And I myself completely forgot about it. It is a strange situation in the Copa del Rey anyways, where the draw takes place about four days before the game (laughs) actually happens. So it's not like there's much time for any build-up, but... We've had a major shift this year with the rights where it moved off sky where it had been for probably two decades at this stage. Moved to eleven sports where really it hasn't been any sort of a success. We've seen recently that eleven sports have given up the rights for Syria A. They have kept on La Liga, but it feels as though it feels as though it's been forgotten about in this part of the world. Is that your sense?
3: Yeah, it feels like it was a bit of a short-sighted uh, deal from La Liga to perhaps leave Sky and go with Eleven Sports. I think, from what I've understood, Eleven Sports offered fractionally more money than Sky Sports, and La Liga said, "Right, that's fine. Let's go. Let's go with that, and uh, and we'll take it off terrestrial TV. Well, we'll take it off uh, TV and uh, go straight onto streaming. It is a little bit short-sighted because the streaming figures for Eleven Sports are. Really? really very low i think from what i saw was about 50000 people have signed up 50000 people it's not a lot of people, particularly when you've got a game as big as as big as a Clasico. And yeah, I mean, I host the Spanish football podcast. One of our biggest markets is in Ireland. I mean, there is an interest in mm. in, in football, and there is an interest in Spanish football. And a lot of people um, have found it difficult to, to watch. Obviously, the people that listen to our podcast, which is specifically about Spanish football, are big <laughs> fans. They, yeah. yeah, they have they have signed up. They're, but, they're,
1: um... The subscription has risen dramatically over that time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, like the, the word short sighted is is
2: correct here because Mm. when you look at what La Liga had been planning last summer and potentially playing Barcelona and Girona overseas in America it seems as though there is a wish there to grow the game worldwide that there's a understanding that to make La Liga if they want to make it the biggest league in the world as well as being the best league in the world they need to make sure it (coughs) is a worldwide game why then do you think that they came to this decision was it simply a case of they didn't overly think it there was a little bit more money on offer
3: Yes, I think it's that. Nice. I think also they, they they also viewed this, right, we're going to take it only streaming in their desire to be forward-thinking and the desire to maybe uh, reach out to, to, to the rest of the world. They thought, right, streaming is the future. We're going to go for streaming and that's it. And it's a big jump to go from having almost every game on TV. I think Sky were covering almost every game. If it wasn't live, then, you know, behind the red button, you could watch more or less every match on TV to take it completely off TV and go just on streaming. It's a really big step. So while... Streaming probably is the future for for live sports. You know, terrestrial TV, analogue TV, as, as, as we know it, is probably a, a dying market, if you like. But to do it like this, again, it wasn't particularly well thought out. It was a little bit short-sighted. A little bit like their idea to take a La Liga game to Miami mm. as well. But don't get me started on that, because that's a whole different ballgame.
2: So looking at La Liga this season, and particularly focusing on the Classico last night in Barcelona and Real Madrid, The one thing I think we're probably in agreement, Kevin, from watching La Liga this season, while it's exciting, quality-wise compared to where it was three, four, five years ago, doesn't seem to be anywhere near the same level. Would that be fair enough?
3: Yeah, I mean, Spanish football pays my mortgage, so I probably shouldn't be saying this. But yeah, the the quality and the blockbuster aspect of it, certainly of a Clásico, I think it has diminished. And I think a little bit unfairly, perhaps on Spanish radio last night, I heard someone saying, we've gone from Cristiano and Messi to Vinicius and Malcolm, which is a little bit... Less uh, blockbuster, uh, if you like. Perhaps a little bit unfair, obviously. Messi came on in the second half last mm-hmm. night. There was still Gareth Bale who came on, uh, Kareem Benzema, big world stars. But yeah, you've lost that wow factor. A, because Cristiano Ronaldo's gone. And B, because Messi is, is getting older. He's still absolutely brilliant. But he missed the first Clasico this season because of injury. He was only a substitute last night because of injury. He's getting a little bit older and he is picking up these injuries a little bit more. So it's probable that he's going to miss more classicos in in the future whereas in the past one of the incredible things about Messi and Ronaldo not just their ability to play football but their ability to not get injured i mean they played every single game mm. and that that increased the the um, awareness and and the thirst, thirst for for clasicos and a clasico without cristiano ronaldo and messi it's um, it's a, a diminished affair certainly in terms of a worldwide spectacle and certainly for your casual la liga fan who might dip in and think oh right you know that's oh, a clasico oh you know let's see what's going on there's no messi and, and there's definitely no ronaldo then yeah it is a little bit more diminished
1: yeah Phil, it's, it's still the usual suspects at the top of the table athletic all There and thereabouts as well. It is Atletico against Real this weekend as well. Is there is there a serious given what Atletico did last summer with the investment, even keeping keeping hold of Griezmann and one or two others as well. Is there a a thought that this could be the year again when they could actually topple these the the big two at the the top of the Liga?
3: Yeah, I really fancied Atletico at the start of the season, not just in La Liga, but also in the Champions League as well. And um, I also host a, a betting podcast as well, a Champions League betting podcast. And my bet for the season was Atletico Madrid to win the Champions League. There was something like 16-20 to 1 at the start of the season. And I thought that's an incredible prize for a, for a team that has reached two finals in the last five years. They've been in the semifinals, they've been in the quarter-finals, and they're hosting the Champions League this season as well. So they are really motivated to get to the latter stages. They've got their most expensively assembled squad ever. Mm. They've got Antoine Griezmann. They've got a manager who knows exactly what he wants from his players. They're a well-drilled unit. They've got the best goalkeeper in the world for me in in Jan Oblak. So I was thinking this season, the Champions League and La Liga are a real... Possible objectives for Atletico. They lost away at Real Betis last weekend and they had a real chance to cut the gap to Barcelona. It would have been three points if they'd won, but they went, they went and lost and that was a bit of a blow for them. So, yeah, coming into this Madrid derby, they want to be bouncing back for them. But it's not over yet. I mean, it's been possibly the most competitive La Liga season that I can remember in the last mm, six, seven, eight, nine years. Teams are dropping points all over the place and they are going to be more points dropped as well. So while Barcelona, they're in a really good position, it's, it's not done yet.
1: Felt they were on a great run before that Betis game. Um, Alvaro Morata played at the weekend. Just want to, He'd been struggling <laughs> at Chelsea. How was he at the weekend in that Betis match?
3: Yeah, I mean, they hadn't lost in 18 games and they lose on his debut. So it's not the kind of impact that that he would have wanted to have. He looked a little bit quiet. He looked a little bit uh, timid. He should have had a penalty, by the way. And there was a big uproar. The fact that we've got VAR here, you know, video system, a referee. And uh, there was a more or less clear looking foul on him in the penalty area, which which wasn't given. So that polemic over that penalty not given, possibly overshadowed a little bit of a what they call in Spain, a discreet performance from Alvaro Morata, who, you know, he's finding his feet. It's a new team. He'll he'll have to understand his, his teammates. But it's difficult to play a centre-forward in, in Atletico Madrid. Over the years, since Diego Costa first moved to Chelsea, they've had a number of players come in and try and replace him. And it has been, you know, there's a long, long list of players that have come in and have not necessarily succeeded. I mean, I don't want to use the word fail, but they've certainly not succeeded. So it's not an easy task that he's been set, Alvaro Morata. And Big expectations coming back to his hometown as well, going back to his first club. I mean, before he joined uh, Real Madrid at age 15, he was a he was a ball boy at Atletico Madrid. He was an Atletico Madrid fan as a kid. So there is a lot of expectations oh. on him. And yeah, that first game, he looked a little bit timid.
2: So heading into the Madrid derby on Saturday, it's a 3.15 start time at the Wanda, Atletico against Real. Atletico start that game six points behind Barcelona at Real, eight points. It's got a little bit quiet at Real after such a ridiculous start to the season with Lopetegui and the way it all fell apart. The filling the gap of Ronaldo though, like Benzema seems to be having one of his better seasons, he's contributing. But you mentioned somebody like Vinicius, who's still only, what, 18? Are we looking at somebody who can make an impact over the next six months in the Champions League, in La Liga? Or are you looking at somebody that they're just putting way too much pressure on at far too young an age?
3: Well, they're putting a lot of pressure on him. They are. But I think they, I think the fans, uh, they need someone. They need someone to latch on to. And they have latched on to Vinicius. And, and in truth, I mean, he's got a lot of aspects to his game which excite fans. He's the kind of player that, that attacks defences. He runs at defences. Defenders don't know what he's going to do. The fans don't know what he's going to do. Sometimes it doesn't look like Vinicius knows what he's going to do. But he has the ability to unsettle defences. And, and he's a really exciting player. He needs to work... When he's finishing, he needs to work on his decision-making. But he is 18. I mean, he's, li- he's a teenager. He's literally a teenager. He, just, uh, he turned 18 last July, just before he moved here. So there's a long, long way for him to go. In terms of replacing Cristiano Ronaldo, I guess that would be the long-term aim for the club to have someone come in and, and try and replace Cristiano Ronaldo. But it's very, very difficult. And I think the idea from Real Madrid fans is that selling Cristiano Ronaldo this summer for 100 million euros, so for more money than they bought him for 10 years ago, that's not a bad deal. That's not, It wasn't a bad business, bit of business at all. It was the lack of a replacement ready made. Well, not ready-made replacement. You can't replace him. But, you know, someone coming in yeah. with the idea of replacing him. Does, does that, that not make that,
2: that... that a bad bit of business, though? You've sold the irreplaceable. Well,
3: I mean, yeah, he's not necessarily replaceable. I think, you know, if they brought someone in like maybe like Eden Hazard and, and, and he'd Come into the team and, and and done well and scored goals, then that might have made Real Madrid fans uh, forget Cristiano Ronaldo a little bit more. I think the deal alone, yeah, the deal alone, it's not a bad bit of business, but yeah, okay. If you don't have someone to to um mm. to replace Cristiano Ronaldo, then yeah, it looks a little bit more questionable.
1: Yeah, I think that when you look at the squad though as well, there the still is that core of that what four and five Champions Leagues or three and four, uh, uh, three and four was it? Uh, yeah, it is four and five. Four and five. Isn't yeah, four five yeah. Yeah. yeah um, do you see that, Do you, and given last season that La Liga was gone for them by Christmas as it was last year, they're still in the hunt, I suppose, within that. Is, is it still the feeling that second half of the season is when Real Madrid really come good and they can actually kick on and have a serious yes. go at the Champions League again?
3: Yes, absolutely. That is, that is very much the feeling here uh, in Madrid, and we've seen it in the last few seasons as well. Uh, they've started winning games. Before last night's Clásico, they'd won five games in a row. And that was their best run for a year. I mean, they hadn't won five games in a row since March last year. Um, they do always tend to come good around this time. And, and it's even questions about injuries as well. For the first time all season, Solari's got a fully fit squad in February with the uh, Champions League returning just round the corner. I don't know how, I don't know why, but it just does seem to happen for, for Real Madrid about this time. They get to February and they kick on. And they've got such good players and such a talented squad and, and such an experienced squad as well now that they, they they know what they have to do to um to win the Champions League, certainly the Champions League. In La Liga, they're eight points behind uh, Barcelona. They've got the head-to-head uh, difference of 5-1. Of so that means essentially it's nine points. It's a long, long way to go in La Liga. But in the Champions League, don't discount them.
2: It's a monumental week ahead then for Solari, you feel, with that Madrid derby. And then they play this brilliantly exciting young Ajax team in the Champions League. Questions then consistently over how long he's going to survive in the job and one of the names that's been possibly linked with taking over in the summer is Kike Setien, who's in charge of Real Betis at the moment. They're involved in the Europa League knockout stages, they're what sixth in La Liga at the moment, what is it about him that people feel that he might well be a potential Real Madrid manager?
3: Well, um, well, I think people like uh, Kike Setien for a number of reasons, not least the football that his teams play. And it's a very, very admirable brand of football. He has an idea and he sticks to it and he does not deviate from it. And he's almost messianical about it. But we play the ball out from the back. The ball is kept on the floor. We play it out from the back and, and that is never going to change in a 3-5-2 in a uh, formation and that is how we play. And it's very attractive. The problem that Real Betis have had this season is they've had a a, a lack of goals and they've had huge amounts of possession. Only Barcelona have had more possession than them uh, in La Liga, but they're not one of the top scoring sides in La Liga. So they've had a lot of the ball, but they haven't necessarily uh, been able to um, to do much with mm. it. They need, they need a striker. They were looking for a striker in January. They didn't manage to, um, to get who they were looking for. They brought in Hesse, Hesse Rodriguez on loan. You might remember him formerly of Real Madrid fame and on loan currently from Paris Saint-Germain, but they didn't get the striker they were looking for. But yeah, that's what's missing from a Real Betis side, a killer, as they say in Spain, in front of goal. And, uh, and, and they could be higher up the table even because they've dropped points because of that lack of goal.
2: I think Setien is a, a self-confessed Johan Cruyff obsessive. And the way you talk <laughs> about the style of football there, about playing it out from the back, it's more a Barcelona style of football how would that go down in madrid
3: well um listen i mean yeah, real madrid fans uh, and real madrid like uh, like good football uh, they like winning though as well so uh, that is uh, that is also it has to be uh, you have to play well and you have to win well as well. Uh, Vicente del Bosque was the manager of, uh, of Real Madrid. He won the league in 2002 and, and, um, he got sacked. Um, you know, it's not just about uh, winning as well. You have to do it with a certain, a certain style. So, um, I must say, I mean, Kike Setien to Madrid, to Real Madrid is not a story that has been around here in Spain that much. He's been much more linked with a possible move, uh, to, to Barcelona. In fact, he actually said, I would cut off my, I would have cut off my little finger to play with, uh, with, with Johan Cruyff." Uh, I'll hmm. play under Johan Cruyff and the Dream Team, and that kind of um, soundbite went down quite well in Barcelona. He was, you know, he was saying the right things. That was after, of course, Real Betis went to the camp now and beat Barcelona four three in La Liga a couple of months ago, the first team to win a league game there in two years.
1: Do you think Solari will be there at the start of next season at
3: Real Madrid? <laughs> Listen, I mean, you know, I am the host of the Spanish Football Podcast, but my day job is also working for Real Madrid TV, so I probably shouldn't speculate too much. <laughs> right, sorry. Event. But, you know, I mean, he has got a contract until 2021. Um, so, you know, let, 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 let's see. I mean, he's, he's, he's doing all right. So <laughs> you, you, you don't want to yeah. test
2: Real Madrid's ability to uh, honour a contract. He's nailed on, he's nailed on, yeah. <laughs> Just before we leave, Betis, then, and what they're doing this season, because yes. I covered them in the Europa League before Christmas, and Setien's managed to pull together A a good, strong squad from taking advantage of what was going on at Sporting and getting William Carvalho in the midfield. Mm -hmm. Giovanni LaCelso arrived from Paris Saint-Germain. He's been very impressive. But the the name that stands out when you look at the team is still Sergio Canales, who was the boy wonder of Spanish football when he was 18, 19. He's 27 now, Sergio Canales, playing at a good level, but never actually played for the Spanish international team. How do people look at Canales... In Spain, is it is it of a wasted talent, or, or what's the general well, sense around them?
3: The thing is, Sergio Canales is, is, a, is as you say a hugely talented player who has had incredible misfortune with injuries. He's had three crucial ligament knee injuries, three. Um, and to be able to bounce back now and to see him playing absolutely brilliantly, I think there's a general sense that people are really happy for him because this is someone, as we said, has had three potentially career, if not threatening, then you know, really deviating injuries, and and he's managed to bounce back from them. And he's a he's a he's an incredibly talented player who plays in a position where Realme, where Spain have a lot of incredibly talented players. But I think Luis Enrique absolutely has to put him in the next uh, Spain squad, and there is generally a feeling that he is going to be in that. Next Spain squad because at the moment he's probably the best Spanish midfielder uh, in Spain uh, at the moment uh, the way he's been playing and it's been it's been really pleasing to see him I can't I can't sort of stress that enough people with Canales there's just been this general feeling that oh what a talent but he's just been so unlucky and to see him playing really well now it's uh, it's really gratifying.
2: Phil, great stuff. Hopefully we didn't get you sacked from any of your jobs. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Phil Christian yeah. the lead there from the Spanish Football Podcast and a commentator on La Liga. We'll take a quick break.
0: You know, I'm a football man. Kevin's a football man, you know. and Joel's not. Now, Sorry, I'm a football we man were. too. Oh! What, what do you wear? Are you a boxer shorts man? Yeah, Are you a yeah, knickers man or what are you? That's one thing my wife's never had to buy me is boxer shorts or pants because I um, I don't wear any. Simple as that. I don't think I'm the only male out there that doesn't wear pants either. I think there's a lot of males, I know a lot of people that don't wear pants, it's no big deal. Oh, do you know? You know, I'm a football man. But I don't, I don't... wear, I do wear. How oh, Robson canoe? We found one here. Still don't wear pants. Still don't wear pants. What, what do you wear? Boxers.
2: Welcome back to the football show. Cave is in studio. We're here till 10 o'clock, so just uh, another few minutes before we let you go for the weekend, Cave. Where are you? I am at
1: Brighton this uh, Saturday, Brighton-Burnley. Ooh. Yeah. So Brighton
2: are... Probably going to be okay, but yeah. they had a bad run five of it. Five points,
1: five points above relegation. Chris Chris Shewitt was talking about it last weekend. Just talking about just yes, we are looking over our shoulder. We're a little bit nervy now. So a win for them would be great. But Burnley in a similar position as well. So it'd be it'd be a decent game. Well,
2: Burnley bomb. got that late late penalty last yeah. week. Which if they'd lost that game, they would have been in serious trouble. Lads, La Liga is a card. It's nonsense to say Spain is the best league. The Premiership has minor teams that can decide the league, like those playing Liverpool and Manchester City in the last few weeks. So says Gary Lynch
1: in Dublin. He's mm-hmm. got a point. He's got a point.
2: Well, Liverpool, until the last week,
1: had won all 14 <laughs> games against teams outside the top six. Yeah, you're a stat man, aren't you? But so. but it's, it's the game de- or the season-defining games, Nathan. They're the ones. They're the ones. Just in relation to my team of the year as well, I had uh, at Pajizzle Menizzle, <laughs> Hell! He, wait a second. He, he was on to me. He Are you sure said, it was a he? No mention of... Yeah, good shout. Um, he was on to me who... Uh, sorry, no mention of Callum Wilson in the team. No mention of all. Good shout. Very good shout. Callum Wilson's over next Ten season. Ten league goals? Yeah. Uh, I'd actually thought about him when I was looking at, at everything, but just doesn't, doesn't quite get ahead of the ones I've picked though now. And lads, the
2: manager of the year of your team is? See, that's definitely... <coughs> you cannot decide... <coughs> no. Because if Liverpool win the league, Jurgen Klopp yeah. is manager of the season. If Spurs win the league, Pochettino's yeah. manager of the season. Guardiola probably at this stage isn't going to get manager of the season because there's an expectation that yeah. City would win the Someone just league. actually
1: said to me about who's the one I thought of immediately, Nuno Espirito Santo, definitely. Seventh in the league. Mm. Uh, he's certainly... In, Playing a proper he, style of football. Yeah, he's in, he's in the mix, isn't he? He's Anyhow? Wow. <sighs> Do you know what Eddie? it's funny with 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 Bournemouth. He's he's still yes doing a great job with what he's done there again. But look at their record away from home. I saw them at Cardiff last week. You know, I was speaking to you before the game. I didn't, We had a bit of a crap line, but it was they, they were terrible last week. They had they had all the possession, about seventy five percent possession, and they did nothing. They didn't create anything in the game. They were awful to watch. Listen I thought wasn't playing though. Pardon? Wilson wasn't playing, but they had Josh King playing, and uh, Brooks wasn't playing as well, actually. But they had, they had enough about them. They are very inconsistent. Yeah, away from Why? home, I think they've lost six on the bounce, seven on the bounce away from home. It's dreadful. What's the problem? At home, and, and that was off the back of beating Chelsea 4-0 as well. Mm. Um, what's the problem? Well, you have to look at a little bit of character. Going away from home, just grinding out a 0-0 draw sometimes. Get a 1-0 win, something, keep a clean sheet. Can't do it.
2: Captain or not, Matt Doherty has to start ahead of Seamus Coleman for Ireland, John and Galway. I've had more conversations about yeah. Seamus Coleman and yeah. Matt Doherty over the last three months. I even know, I I know what's going to happen. One of them is going to get injured the week of the game and there won't even have to be a decision to be made. I think, I think he's
1: got to try and fit in both of them Both of them play. Simple. Play both of them.
2: Of course, uh, speaking of the man who will make that all-important decision as to who plays, somewhere in a pub in Yorkshire, in a darkened corner beside a crackling fire, under a flat cap, sipping a warm pint of bitter. A man called Mick McCarthy's quietly wondering to himself, where his birthday text from Killer is? Upon hearing the bell for last orders, I imagine him turning to his loyal sheepdog Shep, saying, hey up lad, and walking out crestfallen into a dark winter's
1: night. From Tony. <laughs> That's a sad story. Well, yeah, I do believe that Mick is in Dublin though, but, um, so yeah. That's, that's JP Mick,
2: well, you see we've had the worst case scenario I'd say now tonight which is you didn't text Mick so we yeah. didn't get to have a good laugh about it yeah but Mick's probably out having a nice couple of relaxing drinks lads who've someone's been told, listening to the show going up and going ah the command text you yeah. and he's like about what yeah. and now, now he really knows you didn't text them. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's just <laughs> this awkward thing and he's like ah oh, those
1: assholes from off the ball Yeah. constantly well he'll think you're an asshole because you are so there you go <laughs> It's a bit harsh, isn't it? Well, harsh, but fair. Well, not, not a nice way to end harsh the show at all. True. Uh, our
2: live game on Sunday is Manchester City against Chelsea. I'll be with Brian Kerr, who uh,
1: hopefully will be a little more pleasant. Yeah, I listened to beat it last week company. with Laurel. Brilliant commentary oh, last week, you and Laurel. Oh, thanks, Kev. Excellent. It was excellent, Great man, Laurel. Excellent commentary. Uh, and you with the great man this weekend, so oh,
2: what could go wrong? So much, so much good company. Yeah.
1: Actually, you know what I'm going to
2: do? Uh, go to first. Chelsea, they're doing double headers now in uh, the Premier League as well. Chelsea Manchester City women are playing beforehand in the uh, academy. Oh, really? Are you going to go to the game? Might go, I'm there early.
1: Do we have any. any?
2: Well, Megan Campbell is. Uh, I was pu- saying that she was oh. interviewed. She's just back from injury. Oh. I, she hasn't been playing in the right. league game yet. So it will be. Uh, so what time is that, kick off? That's at? one o'clock, and then the game is at four o'clock.
1: Manchester City, Chelsea. And that's obviously. Yeah, City's so, a. Yeah, so obviously, you know where you, yeah, you, know, you, you collect your pass right by it. So, yeah, get in there.
2: Uh, up next on all our social channels, it's Off the Brawl, Kev. The lads of Boxing Union of Ireland Fighter of the Year, Luke Keeler, on the show. Always a good watch, Off the Brawl. So that's coming up mm-hmm. uh, very shortly. OTBAM back on our social channels from 7:45 tomorrow morning with Adrian and Owen. Yeah, so make, be great. Make up your own mind on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow night with Brian O'Driscoll and Keith Wood on the show amateur jockey Finney Maguire racked up three wins at Leopardstown over Christmas he'll be on Friday Night Racing with Jair and David Jennings from the Racing Post the equine flu outbreak will no doubt feature heavily on that as well enjoy
1: the weekend Kev go man oh, everyone yeah. enjoy yeah. it well. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was enjoy it yourself and I'll, I'll, I'll be into yeah. you Saturday anyway. yes.
2: you'll come on the show on Saturday afternoon as well you're headed of that game down at Brighton Tom Dunn is up next good luck
0: Get my ball and he out of
2: grass. He'll give you a move for the perfect pass. Get my ball and he out of space. He'll give you a move with jolly eyes